0: Good morning. It's good to be online with you from Lincoln Hills Christian Church today. My name's Webby Oglesby. That's short for Webster. If you might be listening and don't know me, uh, I've been on staff here uh, for many, many years, and uh, we're excited that you have joined us. We're in a series called Great Expectations. In other words, all through the Book of Acts, there are the word "great" is used, like great joy, and and today we're going to talk about great number. I remember. Uh, back in the 80s, I believe it was, uh, we were, had planned a trip to go to India to be with our Christian friends there and the ministry that was going on. And a couple of days before we took off from Atlanta to India, uh, I came down with a terrible flu. I mean, it was a personal tragedy to me. I could not cancel the trip, so I had to go. So when I boarded that plane, I felt terrible. But my doctor had helped me. He gave me this big bottle of high-powered antibiotics, and I had already started taking those, but he also gave me this giant bottle of codeine cough syrup. <laughs> I started slugging that stuff when I got on that plane, and I think I slept almost all the way to our first leg of the trip, which was, I think we landed in England, and then we went from there to to uh, Germany. And uh I did feel well enough to go get a German hot dog downtown in Frank Frankfurt, Germany th- on that trip. But fifty-six hours later, we got to our hotel in, in uh Kottium, India. And uh it it was a great trip, but I still felt awful, and we had to jump into our suits and ties and go to a church meeting that evening. A welcoming party was there for us. And there were a great number of Indians that showed up for that worship service. Then they took us downstairs and fed us from what they called a a fast food restaurant. It was actually water buffalo. And you know how I felt? I didn't want to eat anything. So I prayed that missionary prayer, Lord, help me get it down and keep it down. (laughs) But the next day, I was scheduled to go up in the mountains to Vagaman Christian Church. So six of us were in a van, and we started down in the city where the smog and stuff is terrible, and I still felt awful. But when we started up into the mountains, I stuck my head out of the window. We didn't have air conditioning anyway, and I started to drink in that cold mountain air. And I'm going to tell you something, between God and that codeine medicine the doctor gave me, I felt wonderful, wonderful. And that was the end of my flu uh, on that trip. Everything went great from then on. The thing that impressed me, though, when we got up in the Vagamond, there was a great number of people there. The building was packed and, uh, with children and adults and people outside watching in the doors and, and the windows. And I was amazed because many of those people walked about three hours through the jungles Now, we took a three-hour van ride up there, but they walked with their kids, some of them little kids, and when that was over, which was a three-hour worship service, they had to walk back home. You know, I was so inspired by the ability of these people to want to worship Jesus that badly, that they would spend that time walking through a treacherous jungle just to hear the Word of God and to worship with other Christians. Some nights, back then, we could do street meetings. We had thousands of people show up. I would estimate that one time down in Pampa Valley, where well, there was a river, I guess uh, when, when you looked out, you couldn't see the jungle sometimes for the number of people that were there. And, and thousands showed up. The great numbers were reflective, I believe, of the people of India wanting more in their life they wanted to be alive more than they wanted to just live. I I was coming to the church this week and I heard a song on Christian radio by Mercy Me. Say I won't. If you want to get a good song, go go buy that one or listen to it. And it starts like this Today it all begins. I'm seeing my life for the very first time through a different lens. Yesterday, I didn't understand. I love this line. Driving 35 with a rocket inside. Didn't know what I had. While I've been waiting to live, my life's been waiting on me. I'm going to run. No, I'm going to fly. I'm going to know what it means to live and not just be alive. See, I'm afraid sometimes we Christians, we just... We just want to live, and we're, we don't, we're not really alive. We're letting life dictate how we live. And so what do we expect from Jesus and expect from our relationship with Him? Now, it's true. God, God cares about every individual that they discover how to really live. He even promises through Jesus abundant life. But I know He cares about the great number who are just living, who are lost, who do not know Jesus. They're not really alive. They're like the walking dead because they're dead spiritually inside. Listen, what does a great number really mean when you think about that? I believe it depends upon the great, what, why that great number has gathered. You get a packed stadium, you've got two teams on the football field, you've got stadium usually on both sides full of two different fans. Now, there's a great number involved in that kind of thing. But the, the thing is, half of that number is going to leave joyous because they won, and half's going to leave sad because they lost. So it depends upon what's going on and why we have gathered for the great number to mean something. Little kids have a birthday party. They've invited 25 of their friends and, and neighborhood and family. What if only two or three of those kids show up? What does that do to that little kid that's having a birthday? They may be discouraged about themselves in life. Well, people don't like me. You know how kids are. A family reunion. We have over 200-something Oglesby-related people at our family reunions every uh, two years. And I love going to those reunions, a barbecue and a bowl of peanuts. I know that doesn't excite some of you, but I'm from the South. But we gather and we love it. Now, a lot of people come because they feel obligated to the family to show up, particularly those older ones. But most of us gather because we want to be there. That great number means something very positive to we who really understand what that reunion does to us personally. A great number in worship? Let me tell you something. There's nothing that fires a preacher up to preach more than knowing that looking out at a great crowd of people. I love preaching in India because there were thousands there, and I made the Lord a promise when I started, uh, decided to go into the preaching ministry. Lord, if it's one or if it's one million, I will speak Your name, and that's what was happening in the early church. A great number can indicate a loss or a gain. But for the early church, it was a gain all the way around. For the first century Christian church, there was a great growth of disciples. In Acts eleven twenty-one, 21, here's what we read. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. In Acts 2, if you go back and read the day of Pentecost, 3,000 believed and were baptized In verse 47 of that same chapter, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Great numbers. In 4-4 in Acts, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. You see, the numbers are moving up and up for a very positive reason. And then in Acts 6 7, so the word of the Lord spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So, what we see happening in the early church was a great number of people coming to the Lord. I remember it was the late 80s, and we had moved into a new building in our church in Georgia. We sold everything down in the Decatur area, and we moved over to Stone Mountain. We built like a, a a $10.8 million complex. It was awesome. It would seat uh, 2,800 people. Our fellowship hall would seat 900 comfortably. The worship center was the last thing that we got ready to move into. But we started worship on a certain day that year, and we moved into the fellowship hall with two services, and we could seat 900 in that fellowship hall. I remember those days, and you talking about exciting There was a great number of people involved in that church at that time. We added 937 new members, most of them by baptism, some by transfer. But those days were unbelievable to see. that I was baptizing people at the little Christian church down the street almost on a daily basis. People calling me up, I want to be baptized. So there was a great joy in our congregation about all of that. So here's what I want you to do with me today. If you're connected with Lincoln Hills or if you're not, I want you to to dream with me for a moment. You you can even close your eyes if you're in in this worship time and and think about it or just imagine it with your eyes open, but dream with me. What if? What if we were to have uh over 500 people in our two services, 9 o'clock and 1030 every Sunday. And we would have to put out chairs and maybe go a little over 500 in two services. That means we would have a 1,000 people plus in worship every Lord's Day. I don't know about you, but I think that would change our church family, that would change our community, and that would change the look of the kingdom of Jesus in this part of the world and look how much more we could do for missionaries let's say to speak uh it would be phenomenal but let me ask you a question about that does that scare you does it scare you as a disciple of jesus that we would be over a thousand people on any sunday in this worship center what, what if this happened? Dream a little more with me. What if every Sunday we were baptizing people in our baptistry, 25 at a time? I just picked a random number. Let's say anywhere from 15 to 35 people were being baptized every Sunday. What do you think that would do? Does that, does that encourage you at all? I would say it would be like an unbelievable revival, not only in this church but in other churches in this community. We are called to make disciples. You see, this dream that I've just talked about and had you dream with me could be a reality. I don't doubt it one bit. Guys, I've seen it happen. Uh, There have been times, even in this church family, where I have baptized 25 people at one time. What a phenomenal thing that was in this congregation. It was a shot in the arm. Listen, it is a great key to getting a great number when we do what God's asked us to do. And you know what the key that is mentioned in Acts 11 is? That verse 21, and here it is. The Lord's hand was on them. So you got to ask chapter 11, wh- where was this great revival happening? Where were all these people living well they were living in a city maybe like Louisville or Indianapolis or Atlanta you know where they were this was happening it was in a Gentile city by the name of Antioch Antioch was one of the most paganistic places on the face of the earth it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire they worshiped fertility goddesses they had temple prostitutes Paganism, immoral actions and the life of the people were unbelievable. But yet there was a great revival and a great number of people came to the Lord in that city, in that place. See, here's the thing, guys. You can turn people to some kind of personality like a famous preacher on TV without the hand of the Lord. You can turn people to a social club without the hand of the Lord. You can even turn people to a church that's doing a lot of great things for the community without the hand of the Lord. You can turn people to an institution without the hand of the Lord, some kind of entity. But let me tell you what you can't do. You can't turn people to the Lord without the hand of the lord you see the holy spirit through his word convicts the soul convicts the person moves that person by faith to repent of their sins and be baptized into jesus that's scriptural i have a formula i want you to listen to it very quickly how can we turn more people to jesus well first of all you got to have solid doctrinal teaching and 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 preaching you gotta have truth, and listen. God's hand will be all over that. I promise you, because that's what He wants. Just a couple of chapters before this, Cornelius is a a Roman centurion. He he leads a hundred Roman soldiers. He believes in God Jehovah. His family. He sends for Paul. I mean for Peter, and Peter comes to his house and preaches the word of Jesus to that family and to those friends and that community, and it says that. Everyone that heard it and was moved and was old enough to make a decision, they were baptized into Christ that day. Gentiles. So Peter came and preached, and that happened. So when you preach the truth, not what man, man says, but what the Word actually teaches, God's hand's going to be all over that. I'll tell you something else God's hand's going to be all over. Solid biblical teaching, but also the evidence that lives are changing. You look at verse 23 in chapter 11, and it reads this way. When he arrived, talking about Barnabas, because see, the elders in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to help with the revival going on in Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. So what was happening, he could see the changed lives. So God's hand's all over that. The third thing God's hand is all over is strong, loving leadership. Like I said, uh, they sent uh, Barnabas from Jerusalem to help with that revival that was happening in Antioch. After Barnabas got there and he saw what all was happening, he was trying to handle everything, one preacher, and he couldn't. So he immediately goes to search in Tarsus for Paul, the Saul, the one that was, uh, that was uh, persecuting the church. And he brings Paul because he knows Paul knows the, the Gentile culture. And he's been called by Jesus to preach to the Gentiles. And, and so these two preachers start to teach the church. And God's hand is all over those two leaders. The other thing God's hand is all over is the preparation to make disciples who make disciples. In verse 25, I think it's really cool. Here's what it says. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. There it is again, great numbers. These two guys teaching and preparing people to make disciples. And they, they, they taught a great number of them. So the fifth thing that God's hands all over is results. And the results is this. These people in Antioch were the first ones that are going to be called Christians. And if you look at that word, it just means Jesus people. That's simple, isn't it? Jesus people. This, this pagan city has now a contingency of hundreds and hundreds of Christians And they started to call them Christians. They've been called away. They've been called saints in earlier uh, chapters and, and writings. But they were first called Christians at Antioch. That's what we're told here in the verses below. Here's the question. Will you be one of the great number to step up and be a disciple maker? Can I be very candid with you today if you're part of lincoln hills christian church particularly it's not happening we're not having one baptism on sunday much less 25 we're not really making disciples at a very good rate i know takes time people need to hear the word of god i understand all of that but I ask you this is the hand of the Lord on you? Is the hand of the Lord on all of us so that we are reaching people for Jesus? We are saying to a lost and dying world, Jesus is the answer to everything going on wrong in your life. See, that great number can be that a great number are lost and they're going to stay lost. That's negative. We could say a great number of that lost are going to come to Jesus because we've had a hand in it, and the Lord's had His hand in it. So give that some thought. I think it's very important. I've had to think about it myself. But I have a challenge for you. Will you be willing to pray that the hand of the Lord be on the ministry here at Lincoln Hills for the next 30 days, every day? Personally pray about it. And will you start coming to our monthly prayer meeting and i know what you're saying we have a family we have kids we can't go there we got so many other things going on let me tell you how you can do it (laughs) one month the husband will go the dad to the prayer meeting and the mom will keep the kids the next month mom will go and he will keep the kids that's an easy fix for that see We can come up with a million excuses not to be praying about what Jesus needs to do in this community. But until we pray for the hand of the Lord to be all over everything we're doing, and us being involved in it, just to say it again, it ain't going to happen. So when you think about a great number from now on, you think about how we could reach a great number of people in this county and across the world, because we're willing to make disciples that make disciples. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for loving us. Uh, We know, Lord, that uh, you care about us inside and out, and, and you are with us. And we pray for your blessing, Lord, that your hand will be all over each individual that claims Jesus, that you will burden us and challenge us to be a disciple maker, to talk to our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our family about Jesus. Father, we know that we live in a hard time. There's a lot of great, uh, great numbers of things happening, if you want to use that, Lord, that are very negative in our culture and across the world. There's not a lot of peace, Lord. Jesus said, I give you peace and I give you my peace. So, Lord, help us to give you our prayer, our time, so that we will know your peace inside and that circumstances will not determine who we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.